0: Welcome back to What Do You Make Of This? I'm Sean Hansen from Saunders College of Business at Rochester
1: Institute of Technology. And I'm Ori Gall from the University of Sydney Business School. Hi, Sean. Hi Ori, it's good to see you again. What are we talking about today, Sean?
0: Uh, today we're going to be looking at leaders' personality traits and their implications for ethical behavior or unethical behavior uh, yeah. and the impact on organizations.
1: I think I think um, one of the reasons we chose to um, to look at this topic, beyond the fact that we find it perhaps inherently interesting, is that we've seen in the last couple of decades some pretty significant corporate scandals involving pretty obvious examples of CEOs or executive leaders' misbehavior or highly unethical behavior, and you can think of examples like the VW emissions scandal. That was a few years back where the company basically lied about how green their cars were. It's just, they,
0: they were just falsifying data. Is that right?
1: As I recall, they installed some kind of software in the car that produced, yes, um, incorrect data about how much emissions there were, uh, how much carbon they were emitting. And they got sued for, I think it was billions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, Purdue Pharma, the opioid crisis, that's uh, another major corporate scandal where, where they, I don't know if they, falsified per se data about how addictive the product was but they were definitely not forthright about this they got sued by a bunch of different states in the us i think again for billions of dollars and i think they just recently settled actually for billions of dollars as well
0: and the the impact that that has had certainly in this country is just immense like the number of people who basically died because they got hooked on opioids after getting their wisdom teeth pulled that was the biggest driver was people would get their wisdom teeth pulled And the doctors had been encouraged by this firm to, uh, you know, to give them this. What is it? Oxycodone or Oxycontin? I forget which one it was. Oxycontin. Oxycontin. And it got them
1: addicted to opioids.
0: But yes, certainly ethically questionable.
1: Now, there was one other. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. Which one was the other one you wanted to mention? Well,
0: there is. There was the Cambridge Analytica study that I, I should say, as you and I were sort of discussing beforehand. I had raised the question of is that is that unethical in the same way as the others? And the reason I raise it is I think the in the case of Cambridge Analytica, they were gathering data on people online to then you know feed back to political actors to sort of tailor political messaging, and the I guess I fear that it. If, if we put that in the same category, then all of business gets implicated. Because I honestly think most
1: online businesses are operating very much in that same vein. Yeah, but I think there was something that was uniquely malicious in the way that they, that they went about doing this. Because they got people to um, fill in their personality profile into some app that was going to give them some sort of an analysis of a per- personality type. And that's that's how they got input into what people are like, and that's the information that they use to tailor these these political messages to impact their their votes. So I think there was yeah. something that was particularly unethical about this. And when you think about all these examples, and obviously there are many many others from the last few years, there's a couple of different questions you could ask, which is that why does this happen? Is it because that there's not sufficient regulation? Do we not have enough proper legislation in place is it a matter of bad or even perverse institutional incentives that are in place that that promote these unethical behaviors and another angle to to approach this topic which is the one that we'll take today is to ask is it something that has to do with the specific behavior of the leaders of these organizations and how they wired from a personality perspective and honestly when i when i started looking into this i my natural intuition was that maybe there's something there but i i can't imagine it's that significant because even if it's a leader of an organization these are big businesses for the most part and there's so much noise that goes between what the leader says and does to what actually happens with the business but like we'll see today um in many of the studies that that we looked at and that we'll discuss in in the next a few minutes some of these influences are quite quite significant
0: yeah yeah you realize that really the or leaders rather can have a a very substantive impact on on their organizational cultures and and the ways in which people interact and behave within them one of the things that i think before we delve into some of the specific research i was struck by the degree to which uh one theory or model is in all of this research and it's one that we've alluded to in a previous episode which is what's called the big 5 or the five factor model of personality. And it's these these five personality traits that are just everywhere in this research and it appears that it has sort of dominated the the personality research
1: for, you know, some two or three decades now. Yeah, so maybe and I thought maybe yeah maybe it makes sense to to say what they are before we delve into it so just that we have a comment denominator yeah. to start off with
0: i think we should just tick these off quickly so the five factors and it's interesting uh one might say well you know why are these the five my understanding based on my own psychology background is that these are the the five traits that have sort of been persistent In terms of strong evidence for implications of uh, you know persistence of behavior and implication or persistence of personality and implications for people's behavior so the first one is extroversion and uh i think this is one many people might be familiar with in terms of we often talk about extroverts and introverts but extroversion means essentially tendency to seek the company of others and to chat and uh degree of assertiveness and energeticness as part of uh I don't know if energeticness is a is a word well, you, you get your
1: you get your energy from inter-
0: interacting with other people right with with extraversion the second one is neuroticism which you'll notice that's sort of a negatively framed one w- because it's the predispos- predisposition to you know stress psychological stress uh it is in apparently in in several versions of the model it is presented in its positive manifestation or the inversion of it which is emotional stability <laughs> right emotional stability is sort of the inverse of neuroticism um the third measure is openness to experience so this means the degree to which people are sort of intellectually curious and creative and like enjoy novelty are willing to try new things that sort of um those sort of principles uh then fourth we have agreeableness and this is uh the degree of uh, the, to which a person is trusting and helpful and sort of others oriented sympathetic is another term that's often used there and then finally we have conscientiousness and conscientiousness is a little tricky because there's a couple different subfacets to that but in the big picture it's sort of tendency to be organized or the degree to which people are dependable and then the subfacets are actually dependability but also there's this this element of achievement orientation so conscientiousness includes the degree to which you try
1: to uh, achieve Uh, various specific outcomes but it also has to do with being dutiful and Uh, and and rule abiding right uh, conscientiousness yes
0: yes that's right so Mm. those are those are all sort of well the two sub facets that are regularly called out is dependability and achievement Mm -hmm. and the duty orientation i think falls under dependability but it is yes the sense of responsibility and duty and and even foresight that someone has
1: and like you said before the, there's a ton of research on each of these dimensions that goes back decades and i've i've even read in one of those papers that made the claim that at least some of these dimensions are biologically rooted meaning so oh, you said i don't that, know that i saw that yeah one of them said that and you mentioned that they were persistent and and what what we mean by that is that they're observable across contexts and culture and countries so they're not culturally dependent, right? They're not unique to the U.S. or to the West in general. We, can, we observe them everywhere. So the point is that these are very well known in, in the academic literature, and there's a ton of research that explores how they manifest in different situations, what the antecedents for each of them are, and what their consequences are in different situations. And the, the research we look at today examines how some of these dimensions or all of them as a as a totality, and even six of them, in fact, one of them adds another dimension. How do they manifest in terms of leadership styles and the propensity of of leaders to act in an ethical way? So
0: what jumped out at you? Were there any any of the key findings across any of these studies? And we can look at any of them, but that the really jumped out at you as sort of interesting.
1: So like I said before, the the main thing that struck me was how significant some of the relationships were between some of these dimensions and and leaders' ethical or unethical behavior. And I I guess I would divide the readings that we had for today into two camps. One was more focused on the negative personality traits and how they manifest as various types of unethical behavior and leadership styles. And the other one emphasize more um, strength of character and positive traits and how they manifest in in terms of leadership behavior and even performance, which I thought was very interesting.
0: So, so maybe let's start. Let's uh, let's sort of take the lesson from positive psychology and start with what appear to be the positive characteristics. Are there specific traits that seem to drive or lead to ethical leader behavior?
1: So there were a couple of papers that emphasized uh, the positive ramifications of of strength of character and, and let's say, constructive personality traits. One of them was by kalshoven et al. The paper was published in the Journal of Business Ethics. It's called Ethical Leader Behavior and the Big Five Factors of Personality.
0: Right. This one was kind of interesting to me because they – um Obviously, they do have the big five, right? They do use the big five personality characteristics, uh, but they also look at a couple different measures of ethical leadership. And I was intrigued. One of them is a unidimensional measure, just meaning that there's just one sort of, there's a 10 item, I believe it was a 10 item scale that measures sort of ethical leadership as sort of a single thing, right? And then a second model had three different dimensions of ethical leadership, and these were fairness. You know the degree to which uh, people are sort of viewed as fair to their subordinates, treating everyone in a uh, equal or equitable fashion. Uh, power sharing is the second dimension. So, to what degree do they share their power with others? And role clarification, which is sort of like communicating clear expectations to others. And as they uh, they assess all of these measures and the and the five factors, uh, the five personality traits, using survey based you know surveys. Of both managers and subordinates, and the, the the traits that really jumped out in terms of support being correlated with ethical leadership were agreeableness and conscientiousness, and and none of the others. Interestingly, that is to say, extroversion had no, almost no effect at all. Neuroticism, surprising to me, also didn't uh, have uh, an effect. And openness to experience uh, was almost borderline negative, right? So openness to experience, there was sort of not huge power, you know. Uh, there was correlations, but at a, a low confidence interval uh, for for openness to experience, actually leading to maybe uh, unethical or or uh, mm-hmm. uh, lower levels of ethical
1: leadership. But agreeableness
0: and and conscientiousness, you see sort of clearly contributing to ethical
1: leadership. Yeah. So what what they found out was that the conscientiousness was positively related to ethical leadership behavior. And it was positively associated with role clarification, which was one of the facets of ethical behavior. It had no correlation with fairness, which I thought was kind of interesting, given that one of the characteristics of conscientiousness as being rule-abiding, I would, I would think is somewhat conceptually similar to fairness, but they found no association there. They also found that agreeableness was positively associated with fairness, with power-sharing, and negatively associated with rule-clarification, which yeah, I thought was inverse. interesting. Yeah, I, yeah why I would agreeableness... Be associated negatively with the rule clarification. Did, did you have any working working proposition there?
0: So I did. I, I was. I, I also found that somewhat surprising. And I, the the thinking that occurred to me is, if someone is very agreeable, you know, again, it almost boils down. Agreeableness almost you can imagine boiling down to is the person nice. You know, is is the person nice to their coworkers and subordinates, and. And so, as a result, you can see, yeah, sure, that relates to fairness. People who are nice, you feel like you're being fairly treated by them, and maybe they're we perceive them as sharing power, but they're not always directive enough to be clear about roles, right? Sometimes if a person's very agreeable, that might mean that they avoid conflict or they, they don't want to engage in sort of conflict. And sometimes, maybe conflict's not the right word, but they don't want to express that assertiveness that might be needed to say... Here is your role. Here is your. Here are my expectations of you. You know, please go forward and flourish in the in that. But please also stick to the sort of the role that that you have.
1: Yeah. No. That's so that's that, a good that point. Was my theory. Yeah. That's a good. I I I think it's sensible. So people who are high on agreeableness perhaps will be less comfortable putting themselves in in possibly conflictual situations where the other person might um, not like what they have to say. So they would just you know not sit, not have that conversation and hope that the person figures out how to do their job on their own. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. That, and they're that, still
0: perceived as nice and fair, but, you know, not maybe providing that kind of guidance. Whereas conscientiousness is almost the flip side there where, you know, if you're very conscientious and you're, you know, rule following and duty oriented, maybe you're not always, you know, the nice person, but you're very clear about, here's the expectations and here's what we're trying to achieve. And, and and hopefully doing it in an equitable fashion but maybe not the the most um touchy-feely or cuddly fashion
1: my experience is that employees oftentimes appreciate and i think there's research to back it up they appreciate having clarity about what's expected of them and we don't always necessarily want somebody who's just nice to us because that's not enough i mean nice is Nice is nice, right? But, but we, we we need to know what the what 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 the boundaries of what we're supposed to do are, and how we need the parameters to be given to us to accelerate our work. And if they're yeah. not given to us, just because someone needs to be nice and not have a, a conflict or a difficult conversation, then that that might be a problem.
0: Absolutely. Uh, although I do think this is part of the complex systems of organizational life, because I think different people will be motivated by different things there are definitely people who would say no i want the nice person i want the manager who's uh, who is i don't want to use the word cuddly because that implies a degree of intimacy that's probably inappropriate um <laughs> but who is touchy feely who is you know constantly focused on the relational dynamics and other people might be motivated by no i want someone who just tells me gives me great clarity around what is expected of me so that i know what to manage to yeah and so there is an interaction between the leaders and the and the uh,
1: led Another thing the study found was a positive association between emotional stability and ethical leadership, and like you said before, emotional stability is the inverted construct in neuroticism.
0: One of the things that I found interesting there is that it did there was a a slight, really, you know, uh, significant but not significant at a at a very high level uh, relationship with ethical leadership. But when looking at the subdimensions or the 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 lower level three model. That emotional stability was only significantly associated with role clarification, not with fairness or power sharing, which is kind of intriguing. Yeah. So there was the other study that we looked at that had a very positive spin on the the inputs to ethical leadership. This was an article from Leadership Quarterly, uh, Sosek et al., and in this particular case, they they were sort of looking at what they refer to as upper echelon. So looking specifically at C-suite, C-suite meaning uh, chief, uh, a title that begins with chief. So chief executive, chief financial officer, chief information officer. That's the C-suite. Um, but sort of looking at C-suite individuals and saying, what's the impact of virtues on executive performance in those
1: in those upper echelon roles? and they looked at four distinct virtues or strengths of characters they looked at integrity which is basically uh, a person with integrity is a person who acts in accordance with their values across their situations values right yeah, so there's a consistency there they looked at bravery somebody who takes the lead on unpopular um, policies or decisions even in the face of opposition or resistance right the third one was perspective, somebody who understands the strengths and weaknesses of major competitors. And the last one was what was it? Social intelligence. It's someone who's interpersonally savvy, understands their own impact in different situations and people. So someone who can read the room, as it were. Yeah. Did, did you they,
0: see did you see a parallel there to what's often called emotional intelligence? I didn't see them directly
1: identify it, but that was obviously what resonated with me. Yeah, me too. I, I saw that. I wonder if there was a an exchange in terms over the years and one became more popular than the others. But yeah, it struck me as quite similar to um to emotional intelligence.
0: And they all had a significant influence, right? All four had a significant influence on executive performance. So this is assessments of the executive's performance, uh, higher levels of integrity, bravery, perspective, and social intelligence all influenced executive performance positively, but integrity by far had the biggest impact.
1: How did they measure performance?
0: Executive performance was a five-measure scale. So some yeah. of the types of questions they asked would were, how would you rate this person's performance in his or her present job? Where would you place this person as a leader relative to other leaders inside and outside your organization? What is the likelihood that this person will derail in the next five years as a result of his or her actions and behaviors as a manager? So that one's obviously reverse coded. To what extent does this individual contribute to the overall effectiveness of this organization? And finally, uh, sort of catch-all, rate this person's overall level of effectiveness.
1: And like you said, what they found was that all, all all personality traits were positively associated with, with performance, but integrity by far was the most significant factor.
0: Uh, but integrity, again, integrity here being sort of you're the type of person who says what they mean and is consistent in sort of stated values and behavior. So that was uh, when controlling for the other factors, integrity was really the one that stood out there.
1: Which I think is an interesting finding. And absolutely, that has very significant actionable consequences for organizations when they think about how they promote people to become leaders or who they hire as as a leader into the organization. I think integrity is something perhaps some some businesses explicitly look for it in their applicants or consider it when they promote people, but I don't know that many people understand the the significant impact that it can have on people's performance,
0: yeah. Now, if we turn actually before we turn to the negative side, and the the we've we've highlighted a couple of key pieces that can sort of lead to ethical leadership, and we will talk about some that clearly undermine ethicality of leadership. There was one study that sort of towed a line in between, and this was also from Leadership Quarterly. This was uh, DeVries' personality predictors of leadership styles and the self-other agreement problem, and one of the really intriguing things I found about this is rather than sort of mapping all of the personality traits to leadership, uh, ethical leadership, they actually mapped specific traits to different styles of leadership. And this, again, was one that augmented the uh, five-factor model with an additional factor. So the model that they use here is captured by the acronym HEXACO. So H-E-X ACO, and what it adds is honesty and humility. To so the big five that we talked about. To the before. big five, right. The rest yeah. are sort of captured in in one form or another, where neuroticism is inversely captured with something called emotionality. Uh, but uh, otherwise, the real addition is honesty and humility to the degree to which people are honest and, and humble in their interactions with others and with that addition they sort of map pre- four of those elements to specific leadership styles mm. uh, and this was done by again surveys surveys of leaders and their subordinates and what they what they found was that there's strong strongest relationships between humility or honesty and humility tends to be very strongly uh, aligned with ethical leadership as we've sort of looked at it so far extroversion is the most closely aligned with charismatic leadership, you know, the ability to sort of uh, draw people around oneself and sort of uh, get people interpersonally attached and excited about the leadership. Uh, Agreeableness was mapped to supportive leadership. And then conscientiousness was strongly mapped to task, task ordered leadership. And I did, I did have the reaction that, you know, Obviously, these different leadership styles are not entirely unrelated, right? There's clearly going to be relationships between them. In particular, I would think ethical leadership, as we've talked about it so far, and supportive leadership, the idea of you know being a, a, a leader who tends to be very supportive of one's, uh, one's subordinates, seems like there would be a very high overlap to me.
1: Yeah, so the way um, they define ethical leadership is the demonstration of normatively appropriate conduct through personal actions and interpersonal relationships, and the promotion of such conduct to followers through two way communication, reinforcement, and decision making. Right? So, yes, I, I think it makes sense. How would you
0: boil that down in layman's terms?
1: Do the right thing, do the right thing repeatedly, transparently, and make sure that people understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, and encourage them to to foster similar patterns of behavior.
0: That's good. I like it. Uh, So what did you think? Did you you find that one interesting, that sort of mapping of certain styles to particular
1: personality traits? One thing that I thought was a bit surprising was that honesty and humility was negatively associated with task orientation. Yeah. Couldn't really understand why that would be the case.
0: Again, I think it gets back to this sort of nice people don't don't drive for achievement in the same way. And we see this in a couple of these studies where sort of this achievement is, orientation is inversely related to agreeableness and things like that.
1: But this is honesty, right? If you're honest, right. you would you would tell people what you expect them to do.
0: So um, I guess I, could, I would want to look into that a little bit because it's, it's honesty and humility, mm. which seem like they're not the same thing, right? <laughs> to, to be honest doesn't necessarily mean you're humble. I know a lot of people who are very honest who I don't think demonstrate great humility.
1: Yeah, that's true. I wonder why they they clustered them together. Maybe it's because they both start with an
0: H. <laughs> yeah, right. The, 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 we can't put two H's at the front of Hexaco. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the other things that did come out in that study, which I thought was interesting, is they noted in the prior research that there are very weak associations between personality and leadership style. So they found that evidence, but in general that there's these weak associations and what they attribute that to is low levels of self-other agreement, meaning we ask you what your personality is like and you say, you know, X, Y, and Z, and we ask your subordinates and they give totally different answers, right? So it it raises this point about self-perception of one's leadership style might be very different than the perception of those that you lead. And that alone to me is kind of an interesting thing and from a managerial perspective it's a pretty good insight that uh doing things like 360 degree analyses or reviews might might give us a lot of insight about ourselves that that we lack otherwise.
1: Which I think is becoming a an increasingly standard practice. In the 360 in
0: review I yeah. think it has become quite quite widespread, yeah. Have, have you done it before? Uh, i had to
1: do,
0: I, <laughs> I say i had to do it because i i wasn't eager to do it so yes, as a de- you- as a department chair um we did one
1: we did one last year and did you uh, learn anything new well. did you did you learn anything new about yourself
0: um i think i did yeah yeah i would definitely say i think some of the some of the points uh for improvement uh were probably things i hadn't really thought of previously so i think it was i think it was pretty insightful for me
1: Okay, which paper do we want to talk about next?
0: So now we turn to the dark side. And I think there were a couple really interesting ones. I think I would like to end with the one on narcissism. So maybe let's turn to a paper called CEO Bright and Dark Personality Effects on Ethical Misconduct. This was also from the Journal of Business Ethics, uh, Van Scotter and De Diarolio. I wasn't sure where the middle name ended and where the last name began, but I believe that's how that one would be pronounced. Uh, once again, we're leaning heavily on the five-factor model. And the fascinating one about, thing about this study to me was its methods. Because what they did is they used what is, I, I went and looked into it because I was not familiar with it other than some some sort of inkling that I had read about it in a Malcolm Gladwell book but they used this approach called the thin slice approach where they basically took raters and showed them videos of various CEOs. And the videos varied in length from, you know, like a minute to 30 minutes or something like that. But most people watched about 10 minutes of a video. And based on those videos, just watching those videos, they scored the people with regard to all five personality factors and then compared those scorings to uh, ratings of antisocial and narcissistic and anxiety, anxiousness in clinically uh, psychopathal in in clinically mentally ill. Well, it's not mentally ill. What was the what was the distinction? It's people with
1: with personality disorders, right? With right. with pathological personality disorders. Yeah, yeah.
0: We'll but see. at any rate, so um, what, what did the
1: study find?
0: So they, they did assert significance. So they looked at the, because a number of the CEOs who were reflected in videos were people for which there was documented misconduct. And they looked at, you know, four different types of misconduct. Well, three, and then a catch all three different types of misconduct, fraud, sexual misconduct, ri- excessive risk taking. I think we've seen that in the past week here in the U S at least with the, uh, fall of the, um, uh, Silicon Valley bank. Yeah. Uh, and then there was this catch-all sort of general unethical misconduct and that included any of the others yeah. right and so since a significant percentage of the ceos who were being rated and being then compared to people with clinically clinical diagnosis of antisocial or narcissistic or anxious behavior um they found uh openness openness to experience the one that one that we haven't heard much about so far is significantly correlated to ethical misconduct not any of the sub areas but it was significantly correlated to this catch-all which was kind of interesting since none of the sub areas were were implicated at all
1: wait that doesn't make sense ethical misconduct so openness is positively associated with misconduct right right how do you
0: make sense of this right well well i found it particularly interesting because i could i could sort of see that being associated with the um excessive risk taking right if if the argument was that the people who are rated high on openness to experience might be excessive risk takers right i imagine skydivers imagine skydivers are people who score very high on openness to
1: experience can you quickly recap what openness is to make sure um, we're yeah uh,
0: so it's the degree of intellectual curiosity creativity preferences for novelty new things um and it also captures sort of inquisitiveness so again it's sort of people who are engaging or comfortable with ch- doing new things
1: right so why would <clears throat> why do you think openness would be so <clears throat> so strongly a- associated with ethical misconduct
0: uh, I don't that's, know. I was very surprised by that. Yeah, that's
1: very curious. Interesting.
0: Yeah. And again, not specifically to the risk, you know, excessive risk taking, but just the the catch-all concept of
1: uh, ethical misconduct. Yeah. In fact, it was not significantly correlated with with um, risk misconduct. Right. And yet, right. it was it had such a strong correlation with with ethical misconduct.
0: Right. Interesting. I I was intrigued. And then a less surprising result was that agreeableness is uh, negatively correlated, is significantly negatively correlated. So the more agreeable, with,
1: with ethical misconduct,
0: with ethical misconduct, right, yeah. right, and with a couple of the sub-dimensions, like fraud. So yeah. if people are agreeable or rated as agreeable, the the likelihood of them engaging in fraud or excessive risk taking or ethical misconduct in general goes goes down significantly.
1: And they also found that conscientiousness is negatively correlated with fraud misconduct. Only fraud, right? Yes, only, only fraud, fraudulent misconduct. Meaning that more conscientious people are less likely to engage in fraudulent behavior. Right, which is pretty intuitive, right? That one's not too surprising, and consistent with consistent with what we saw before.
0: Yeah, and, and then, then the they last, at, the last yeah, they, significant relationship there, which I don't also know how to explain, is that neuroticism. Rated as neuroticism, not emotional stability, had a small but significant uh, correlation with likelihood of sexual misconduct. The really surprising one, though, though there to me was the openness to experience, which we have not seen implicated in any of these other studies, almost at all. Right, like it's not showing up as sort of negative or positive, you know, as significantly related to any of the characteristics of leadership behavior. So that was that was quite intriguing to me
1: and then they looked at specific personality traits and their relationships to um ethical misconduct fraud misconduct risk and sexual misconduct and the most significant thing there was antisocial tendencies and these are very strongly and positively correlated with ethical misconduct and a single move a movement in a single standard deviation from the mean from the average of the antisocial distribution there can have a more than a sevenfold impact on ethical misconduct. Right? So if you're right, right, if you're more antisocial by a single standard deviation than somebody else, you're more than seven times more likely to engage in in ethical misconduct. And narcissistic behavior or narcissistic personality was had almost almost uh, a similar impact, or I shouldn't say impact. was had, had a almost similar association with ethical misconduct. So there we see a, a, a sevenfold increase and a more than a fourfold increase in people's propensity to engage in fraud misconduct. Fraud, and, specifically. yeah, yeah, and fivefold increase to engage in sexual misconduct. So narcissism is a a pretty good antecedents of a range of unethical behaviors
0: yeah the 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 narcissism by the way the the narcissistic behavior it didn't surprise me at all with regard to the association with sexual misconduct right it's these are people who walk around thinking everyone in the world wants to sleep with them right like it's not that one's not too surprising no it's not but but as you know the effect is still is quite substantive did you when you looked at this
1: did any one particular person came come to mind? a couple, this, couple.
0: Uh, yeah, I think we all know people that fall into these various buckets.
1: I couldn't help and, but thinking that, um, I mean, to me, and this is not really a controversial political statement, I don't think I was thinking Trump,
0: oh, oh God, yes, several of these. so so that's so actually, that's a great segue to the last study. Okay, yeah, I I agree. It's like a whole study study, that
1: was devoted to this one individual. I I thought thought
0: the exact same thing. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So um, the last study was in Academy of Management Discoveries. uh, And this was in 2021. It's O'Reilly, Chapman, and Doar. And it's called When Me Trumps... Well, they actually put Trump in the title there. When Me Trumps We, using it, of course, as a verb in that case, narcissistic leaders and the cultures they create. But it might not have been incidental. And at any rate, the 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 assessment here is well first of all they did five distinct studies they the they they build across these five studies from a general assessment that narcissistic personality tends to lead to less emphasis on collaboration and integrity and they build it up to uh, across the five studies to make a pretty persuasive case i felt that basically narcissistic leaders engender narcissistic cultures mm within organizations can have a real p- impact on the organizations they they lead and can create environments in which individuals even if they themselves do not score high on narcissism are much less likely to be collaborative collaborative and much less likely li- less likely to demonstrate integrity in their own professional lives there were several statements in there that absolutely uh made me think of the
1: former president or perhaps the future president as well uh, the, way, the way things are going. We will see. I thought there were a few, a few interesting things that they pointed out here. So when they, when they review previous literature, they pulled out some of the main findings from that literature in terms of the impacts of narcissistic leaders. So, and I, which I thought was, were very, very interesting. So one of the, uh, some of the things that they, that they indicated was that they, have a, a stronger proclivity to manipulate earnings. Their companies tend to have less effective accounting controls. They tend to, um, and that that specific thing made me think about Trump as well, they, they tend to uh, engage in protracted lit- litigation, even when they know full well that they have small to n- no chance of winning it. Yeah, can't admit they're wrong. They were slower to recover. Their companies were slower to recover from financial crises and they had reduced corporate governance structures so you know these studies are quite telling in terms of the the impact that narcissistic leaders have on their organizational culture and and the structures and the processes that and the norms and the values that characterize these these businesses i thought that was quite telling yeah absolutely they, and they also had um in in the literature that they cite it, it shows that having narcissistic not narcissistic leaders also has a very significant impact on the behavior of employees so it leads to more employee absenteeism employee sabotage employees feeling less satisfied more stressed out and having lower levels of commitment to their jobs Right. And,
0: well, and my initial reaction to this was, well, you know, of course, basically, if you work for a jerk, you're like, oh, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not going to have the same commitment and purpose if if I don't, if I find that the person I'm working for lacks integrity and is is a jerk, essentially, right? But I think the across the five studies, I think I was quite persuaded that it is not just you know individual dislike f- for the executive, but actually that it engenders a certain culture across the organization. Yeah. So that, again, people who even though in their private lives might have great focus on collaboration, you know, might be very collaborative with others and show great integrity. But when they're in an organization that's led by narcissistic people or a narcissistic person, they will often uh, mirror those behaviors in their own in those in their work lives.
1: OK, well, let's sum it up and see where we at given what we've given our discussion so far. And maybe just to recap, we, we've started by talking about various corporate scandals and how there are various ways in which we can account for, account for them and make sense of them in terms of legislation and, and uh, regulations and, and so on and so forth. But we focused on a, a different angle, which is the personality traits of the leaders of, the, of these corporations that that had, had these scandals. And all of the studies that we looked at Indicate pretty clearly in, in slightly various varied ways, but they'll all have a, I think, a pretty similar takeaway, which is that the personality of the leaders of, of organizations have a significant impact on both on the behavior of individual employees within the organization, on the culture of these organizations, and on the decisions and and the actions of these organizations which they take as a whole. Agreed.
0: For yeah. me, something that comes from across all of these is the need to really try to evaluate personality when when organizations are selecting their leaders and selecting people for opportunities to move up within leadership, both on the positive and the negative, right? On the positive, we see pretty clear evidence of things like agreeableness and conscientiousness playing significant roles, maybe different roles, right? Support, supporting different types of forms of leadership and so maybe depending on the the role that you want to move someone into or seek leadership for you would look for uh different characteristics but on the negative side i think these last two studies in particular make it pretty clear you need to be careful and try and identify ways of try and discern narcissistic behavior in particular and and make sure that you're not putting people into uh, leadership roles who are likely to demonstrate that that type of behavior because it will carry over to others. It will leach out of the individual and into the culture of the organization.
1: One point I think we should emphasize or that I find interesting is that we started off by saying that much of the research on the, on the big five made the argument that these are in the very least consistent, fairly stable traits that people have. And some of the research even claims that they're biologically rooted. And I wonder if this is really the case, what do we as organizations, what what can we do? Is it a matter of just getting the right people in the right spots? Because if these things are really as immutable as some of this research seems to suggest, there's not much that we can do to train people up to be less narcissistic or more conscientious Or is it a matter that we can actually apply various techniques, training methodologies, in order to make people more, you know, have more character strengths and and less of these negative and maybe even corrosive personality traits? At least one of the papers on on the character on um the character strengths did make the point that these can be acquired. Right, right. And people can be trained yeah they're malleable and people can be trained trained rather to be to have higher levels of integrity and bravery and more business perspective and social intelligence yeah. so it's not like you're stuck with what you were given there's actually room and space for organizations to engage in various developmental activities to help their leaders become more of those or to have more of those things so these are not immutable traits but much of the other mm-hmm. research I think uh, has a more kind of. I don't know if I want to say biological, deterministic, maybe more deterministic. Or it treats these traits as being more immutable. And by immutable, I mean that they're not easily changed, even with training and and development. What, what right. what's, where, right. where do you land on this? On this. So the,
0: the the one place I I land is, or the the one of my takeaways is, even if you can't necessarily change personality one can become aware of one's blind spots right so if you look at your if you do a, an honest sort of assessment of your or, or at least attempted honest assessment of your own personality then it might make you aware of you know what are the the areas of leadership that i am likely to be um maybe naturally deficient in and it can set uh, some targets for for managers and for leaders to say okay i'm not always the most agreeable person so i would probably score low on agreeableness and that means that you know some of my the people who work for me might not feel like they're entirely supported or like they might feel that i'm not always being entirely fair and therefore i need to pay special attention to being very fair in my you know assignment of tasks in my distribution of resources in my communication to uh, employees They need to focus on things like fairness and power sharing and role clarification because my personality might not lead me there naturally.
1: I have a question for you. So um, the whole notion of testing and evaluating people's personalities as part of the recruitment process is not new. We've been doing this for decades. Yeah. What new insights do you think we can extract from these papers, from these studies that shed shed new light on on what organizations are doing
0: i i do worry about that a little bit honestly even after reviewing this research and seeing that there are clear relationships between personality traits and ethical leadership behavior i I feel like it is too deterministic like we're saying well you are just the sum of your personality traits and and i don't in my own uh sensibilities i don't want to concede that concept what do you think you there is the movie Gattaca? You ever see the movie Gattaca? No. So it's a sci-fi ish movie, but it's, a, it's, it's a society in which basically you are determined by your genes, right? So everyone knows ahead of time, what your genetic profile is. And based on that, you will be assigned to jobs that are appropriate. You'll be given uh, opportunities that are appropriate. And, and it is entirely based on your genetic profile. And given your own, uh, dystopian perspective you would love this movie although it's sort of the opposite because in the end uh, well clip that out because otherwise i just gave a spoiler alert but so you feel
1: like given too much uh, given too much weight to things that we can either do nothing about or very little about like our personality traits presumably has a certain unethical tinge to it because it kind of discriminates Uh, against people based on something that they have no or little control over it worries me yeah right.
0: yeah or or I guess that's a that's an empirical question do they have control over it? can they engender different traits at least behaviorally if not sort of in their own uh mental states I think narcissism uh, there's pretty good evidence that narcissistic personnel personality
1: disorder is a real thing and I I think I don't think we're saying it's not real. I, I, I think the question we're debating is whether there's something we can do to mitigate the way it expresses or maybe change it over time. And it makes me think of of Dexter, the, the show right, about the serial killer. Sure. And I, I don't know how to pathologize whatever he suffered from. Um, I don't know if it was a narcissistic personality or maybe combined with other things as well. But one of the things that he was able to do pretty effectively over the years is to kind of camouflage himself as a normal human being. Now, I I don't mean to to sound sinister necessarily, but I'm sure many of us engage in similar types of behaviors to maybe it's just me. (laughs) I'm thinking about this as I'm talking. What are you admitting to? (laughs) I have never killed anybody. (laughs) <laughs> no, but I, what I'm saying is that I think many of us have different, um, different personality quirks, I guess, right, of different types and flavors. It's not necessarily yeah, just brutal. hiding them, but you know, we know that in order to um, to socialize into society and to have constructive and proper relationships with different people, we have to emphasize some aspects of our personality and and, and mitigate or subdue others. I think it's just something that we do as as competent members of society. So I wonder if the same thing can be said about organizational leaders.
0: I think it's a, a very valid question, right? Mm-hmm. There was a there was a study, and unfortunately, I cannot give, I can't cite the names, but there was a, a, a fascinating story. There was a, a, a psychology researcher who was researching psychopathy or s- sociopath, and there's a very particular brain po- profile in terms of how their uh, their brains operate. And different parts of their brain are activated in different ways that distinguish them from other members of society. And he was running two studies at once. And one was the the sociopaths and the other one was, I forget what it was. It was like family members, but they were all brain scans. Mm -hmm. And they discovered he in one, he was going through the stack and he said, oh, this was put in the wrong stack. This is should go in the sociopath stack. And when he then looked into it further, it was his own profile. It was his personality profile. And he discovered that he was essentially a sociopath, but he had not lived his life in that way and didn't demonstrate those characteristics. So
1: so we're not business of our own biological, biologically determined tendencies is what you're saying. I think the conversation is worthwhile and we do need to, consider the ethical consequences or ethical sides of pigeonholing or maybe even excluding individuals from certain positions based on some personality tests that we might give them. I, I well, think it's totally understandable for organizations to do that because we do want to understand who we're hiring and what they're what they're like and you know, what kind of behaviors they're likely to exhibit. But I, I do think we need to, to be cautious about being overly deterministic with this.
0: I agree. I agree. But it also, this this type of research might give us insights in terms of leadership development, right? If we have people and we do understand their personalities, then again, it might suggest areas where uh, we can try to offer training or insights that help shore up potential uh, weaknesses based on personality traits.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very useful way of approaching this. So rather than giving people these tests and excluding them or not promoting them based on the scores because they happen to be high on trait narcissism, for instance, we could use this information to offer them more help and target the specific areas where they might need more development. Yeah, I like that approach. That's a very constructive, non-deficit-based approach. All right, let's go with that one. Okay, so let's wrap up the conversation and move on to some of our favorite things.
0: So now so, we're gonna turn to music this week, I think, right? Yeah, let's do music. And we'll do, you're a you're a, a actual musician, so your taste is better than mine probably on a, a whole lot of fronts. You go first.
1: So my selection for this installment is a singer called Nick Drake. Some people may know him. He was an English musician singer songwriter and a guitarist uh, he, le- he lived he uh, lived uh, i want to say he was born in the 40s or 50s and he's no longer alive but in the time that he was alive he, he put out i think two or three albums and his music i usually describe it as painfully beautiful it's extremely mellow extremely melodic and super honest when, when you listen to his music, it's very it's very stripped down. It's basically his voice. He uh, strums uh, on the guitar, classical guitar. There's this very little effects or production on top of this. and it's just pure and, and beautiful. His voice, the guitar and some strings perhaps on some of the tracks, but it's just really, really simple and beautiful music.
0: So I'm, and, I'm familiar with the song Pink Moon, but I think that's the only one I know. So I'll have to go back and listen to other.
1: I think one of his songs, maybe maybe another one, not Pink Moon, was um, in the movie Garden State.
0: Yeah, right? that, yeah. That was. I, that I remember there? the
1: movie. I'll look it up. Very. So cool. anyway, it's beautiful music. Check it out. Okay. Cool. What so I am
0: going to do? I'm going to do uh, uh, a pairing. So you know <laughs> a. a a pair of artists who both had uh, earlier careers, which is Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. They've started doing uh, albums together these last couple of years. And it's it, it, actually painfully beautiful is a good descriptor. But it's Alison Krauss is, of course, originally a uh, bluegrass artist. And hopefully, you know, Robert Plant was the lead singer of Led Zeppelin. Had a little had a bit of a solo career as well. But these uh, albums that they've done these last couple of years are just... Um, it is a great pairing of what I would have thought were very distinct sounds. What kind of music did they did they make? So I guess uh I'm not sure how you would describe it. So it is uh it's got a bit of a folk sound. It's got uh I I, I don't know how I would describe it actually.
1: Well, I guess I'll need to check
0: it out, but do you like yeah. it. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're great. The the these both the, the I think they've done two albums so far, and they're both fantastic. So yeah. Is she American? Alison Krauss? Yeah, she uh, Alison Krauss is American, Robert Plant is English. English. Yeah. Yeah. Uh as a and anyone my age or older went through a Led Zeppelin phase? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I certainly did when I was in high school. This was long after Led Zeppelin was no longer together. I'm not that old. But anyone that I grew up with had a Led Zeppelin phase and so I I I still stop anytime I hear Led Zeppelin on the radio. Um but the music is very different than Led Zeppelin the music that they make together sounds very different than
1: Led Zeppelin but yeah, um, Stairway to Heaven was one of the first stuff. songs I've ever learned on the, guitar, on the guitar nice and it reminds me of um, Wayne's Wall that movie, that there's a scene in the movie where he goes to a guitar store and there's a sign there no Stairway, Stairway to Heaven, to heaven. No? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Garth, right? Garth is the character I Garth. think so,
1: yeah Yes. cool Okay, I think let's wrap it up Yeah, we've reached the end of the the line here.
0: All right. Talk to you next week.
1: See you later, Sean.